0: Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and today, I can hardly wait, I've got Doug Blair coming on in just a minute. He's a news producer for The Daily Signal and co-host of The Daily Signal podcast, and then after that, Dr. Michael Youssef is going to join me. He's written a book called Never Give Up, Holding Fast to Biblical Truth in Times of Danger and Despair. So, what a great combo to have Doug Blair come on and talk about the danger and despair in the world, and then Michael Youssef to talk about never giving up. Doug, so glad to have you back on the show. Welcome. Uh, thanks so much, Bill. Although I hope we can talk about other things other than despair and despondency <laughs> in the world. <laughs> I, I, I hope we can too. So I know you're working hard and you're getting up to uh, up up to three hours of sleep a night. So congratulations. Oh yes, no, it's it's
1: what's great. We're we're getting one hour a night. We we bumped that up to three. So we're we're making progress.
0: <laughs> I know you're covering the uh, Supreme Court protests. I'd love to hear more about what's going on. What are some of the updates?
1: Absolutely. So we've at The Daily Signal have been covering these protests specifically in front of the justices' homes for about the past couple of weeks now. Uh, Thankfully, I think we're starting to round a corner in how the radical left recognizes that this is not appropriate behavior and that it really makes them look Unhinged and out of step with the American public, because as much as I believe that Bill were' both pro-life and that we believe that life is sacred, uh, abortion is a is a topic that I think a lot of people are willing to have a discussion about. but the radical left demonstrated when it was marching and protesting in front of these justices' houses that they didn't want to have that conversation. They wanted this to be a settled issue, and the only way that you could believe was that the the, the way that the radical left believed they were if you were going to dissent from that opinion. Well, they were going to make sure that you were going to get harassed and and yelled at and screamed in front of your own home. Uh, Therefore, you would have to change your opinion. So it was really to intimidate the justices into changing their vote. Thankfully, I don't believe it worked.
0: Well, Doug, I think there's also the idea that they're going to, if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, it goes back to the states, of course, uh, which is kind of the most perfect uh, illustration of democracy at work.
1: Absolutely, I mean, I keep hearing these calls for uh, you know Roe v Wade to be maintained, otherwise it's the death of democracy, and that's one of the reasons the protesters were out there. They were saying that this was an attack on democracy, but as you said, bill, that's such a perfect point that like this is the essence of what the American democracy. Uh, Republic Experiment looks like these states are you know the places that get to decide it 's the citizens of the state that get to, to debate it within their own borders, and then they get to say, this is how we want to live. Uh, the radical left doesn't believe that. They believe that you know if they believe something as, and that abortion is a, a woman 's right to choose to terminate a baby, then that should be something nationwide. that should be a federal law whereas on the pro-life side, obviously, we're trying to cultivate this culture of life around the country, and we would prefer if it was made illegal at a federal level, and we would prefer that, you know, we, we have an end to abortion everywhere, but we understand that the system needs to go through, and we, need, we understand that the justices are going to make their decision based on the Constitution. Uh, the radical left clearly doesn't buy that, and the fact that we've seen them kind of pull back from uh, these protests in front of the justices' homes, I think indicates that they're starting to realize the majority of Americans don't buy
0: that either. Mm-hmm. Doug, I get the, the ideology behind a justice, a Supreme Court justice that says, I personally am in favor of abortion, or I am personally not in favor of it, but as a justice, isn't it their job just to be the umpire and call the balls and strikes and say, this is just not constitutional?
1: Absolutely, and that's what we would hope. So when Alito wrote his decision, he he said that it was constitutionally wrong. It was egregiously wrong. We decided mm-hmm. Roe v. Wade. Uh, so again, he's looking at this from the perspective of, you know, this is what the Constitution says. This is what our system of law and government tells us we need to be doing. Even Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, no fan of you know the conservative movement and and not definitely a conservative in her jurisprudence, believed that Roe was on shaky legal ground anyway. Um, one of the things that I thought was so fascinating when I was listening to some of these protesters uh, as they made their way around D.C. They basically said something along the lines of, "Well, Roe was never going to be the end all. Now what we need is a federal solution. We need the legislature." Uh, to make these, to to, to codify Roe v. Wade to codify abortion into federal law. So I think they're even starting to recognize that this is a sinking ship and that the only way to get this preserved and to get this protected at a federal level is to force the legislature to do it. Now, does that mean that we're going to start to see protests in front of legislators' houses like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer? It's entirely possible. I, I, you know, as somebody who tries to remain philosophically consistent, I really hope that that's not the case, and I hope that Schumer and Pelosi are able to enjoy their private residences without protesters yelling and screaming outside, but I just don't know.
0: Mm -hmm. Doug, do you have any need for a baby formula at your house?
1: (laughs) Thankfully, I do not. I I am aware of many people that
0: do. Okay, Uh, talking to those uh, friends and colleagues that need it, are they able to get it, and what are they doing about it if they can't?
1: So that's the thing, right? We're seeing this, this shortage of uh, baby formula all throughout the country and my heart goes out to all these mothers who are, are trying to feed their children and are just unable to do that and i think one of the saddest things about it is we're not seeing solutions from the government about this obviously this is an issue That needs to be addressed. This is a crisis. Babies are dying because Mm, they're mm. unable to eat. And we're just not seeing Washington or our lawmakers step in to fill that gap. It's very disappointing. And I I really hope that we can get a change because seriously, uh, this is one of the most vulnerable populations. You move from abortion, obviously, the murder of a baby in the womb, to externally, they're unable to eat. And this idea that like our most vulnerable populations are just not able to get the care that they need, it's so disappointing.
0: Well, not only that, but I think it creates a sense of panic in people. Even if you you don't have young kids, you can think, oh, my, my, my baby needs to eat. And then the baby's crying at one in the morning and you go, what what, what do you do? What do these moms do?
1: Absolutely. And the, one of the things that has been really uh, encouraging is that we're starting to see a lot of these pregnancy centers uh, provide that type of Uh, those those supplies and those resources to people who need them. But again, that really shouldn't be the case. We shouldn't have to rely on these types of institutions that are set up to sort of protect the most vulnerable mothers from that. We should be able to go to a store and say, you know, I I can purchase this product. If you look at what the situation is right now, it's very analogous to something like a Venezuela or a failed state where you know there are lines and there are, are, are people who are unable to find the supplies that they need this isn't something that we expect from a first world country like america this is something that you would expect in a failed state like i said like venezuela this is there, there's clearly something wrong where people are unable to obtain the basic supplies that they need to take care of their children
0: hmm doug let's talk about the weekend shootings um it's, it's so um disturbing everything that went on um I would love for you to process this with us. Absolutely.
1: Well, my heart first of all, my heart and my my prayers go out mm-hmm. to the families affected. Um it's horrible. It's it's despicable what this man did. Um I, I know that he'll I, I hope that he'll at least face judgment on earth. I know he will face judgment in the, in the beyond in the afterlife. Uh but this is the thing about these types of people. I, I will give President Biden props for for at least addressing that this was this was something that was a problem. Obviously, this man was clearly unhinged. He was drained. He shouldn't have had access to those weapons. But I will say that one of the things that we need to remember, and we, we can't forget as we're processing this, is that this, this is a, a human tragedy. There are going to be people that are going to try to politicize it. There are going to be people that are going to try to use this as an example of why we need more gun control or why more gun control uh, wouldn't have done anything. But at the end of the day, what we need to remember is that human lives have been lost. There are families who are mourning their dead, their loved ones, and we need to sort of empathize with those people and recognize that as at the end of the day, people are dead, and that's really what matters. The mm. politics can come second.
0: Yeah, it's, again, just to hear those reports, and when you hear about this kid's history, and you read that he had these bouts of mental illness, and I mean, my heart breaks for the family. I feel so sorry for the The victims and their families, and i I my heart just breaks everywhere and i I pray that God will uh, help comfort the people who have lost loved ones, uh, but that's the rest of their life the the yeah. feeling of of their their beloved going into a grocery store to buy food and not coming up
1: absolutely and again, I think one of the things that we do need to sort of keep in mind as we are processing all of this too, is that this didn't need to happen right when we when we look at how the, the current structure of, of our laws are set up, there were definitely warning signs uh, that this individual was going to do something. As you mentioned, his manifesto mentions multiple times that he had these thoughts, he had these feelings, mental illness uh, in his background. Uh, I have been told in the reporting that I have read that there were also signs that people had explicitly said to police, uh, I think that this man is, is dangerous. I think that he has these tendencies. We need to do something about it. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't effective. The, the police didn't act on it. So, as, again, as much as we want to sort of pretend that this is something that could never happen uh, to us in our neighborhood, uh, it, it could very well happen. And it's important for us to sort of be vigilant, be aware And to take care of ourselves, right, Mm -hmm. to take care of ourselves and our communities, to basically say, you know, hey, how is my neighbor doing? Is he doing okay? I should go up and check on him. And if he's not doing so well, then you either, you know, you find a way to sort of comfort him and you find a way to say – I can, I can be there with you. I can be that presence in your life, as Jesus taught us to do, to be the, the person in, in, our, in our neighbor's life. Or we can say, I think this person needs help, and maybe we need to go to somebody that can help them do that. So, again, all these warning signs were ignored in this situation. And I think if people had just paid attention and given and given this person the care that they needed or given them the, the sort of resources that they needed, or they said, you know, the police need to be involved, then this wouldn't have happened.
0: Yeah. Doug. I get the feeling you were not only a good kid in high school, but a pretty good student. Am I right on both both accounts? I wish I could say that I was, but But, I had a change in life a little bit later. Okay, okay. But let's at least look back uh, at maybe some of the kids in your high school that you would have considered maybe on the margin, a little out Mm -hmm. there, uh, a little nuts. Um, And what were kids doing back then uh, when you were in high school with those kids that were rebellious, kind of on the margin- maybe considered even a little nuts or a little dangerous
1: yeah no that's a great question and and honestly i I wish i could say that they were treated with respect and Mm -hmm. dignity but that's just not where we're at right now um I mean, this isn't necessarily a policy proposal, but bullying is a really real problem in a lot of our schools. And I think one of the things that we have to talk about, as I was even sort of referencing back to what we started with, we need to create this culture of life in this country. And life doesn't just mean that we don't have abortion anymore. A culture of life really means that life is valued at all steps of the process, right? Obviously, when you're in the womb, that's one part of the life. But then when you're later in in your existence, when you're in high school, when you're in middle school, when you're all these places, you need to respect human beings. Beings as human beings, they need to be treated with dignity, uh, regardless of, of their race, of their you know, of their gender. All of these things, they need to be treated with respect and stuff. And, and, and I think what you're you're sort of pointing out here is that when we don't have that, it's very easy for us to marginalize those people and to place them in situations where they feel as if they don't have any other choice. Other than to do something like this, and again, I, I think that it is so important for us. And this is this is coming from me as a human being. This is coming from you know Doug Blair, the the guy, as opposed to Doug Blair, the reporter with the Daily Signal. It's just be a good person. Be good to your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Christ taught us to do that, and it's it's up to us to really keep that going. And and in this in this circumstance, I think we probably failed.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, you know, no one is immune from bullying. I, I heard recently that Tom Brady was called a goat. I mean, that's pretty demeaning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tom Brady is is a goat in maybe one sense. But yeah, I do do think Tom Brady is a cool guy. Maybe I'm confused. All right, let me take a little break. Doug Blair is my guest uh, contributor at The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com. You can learn all about Doug and see his brilliant reporting and podcasting. Be right back. To the show, if you just joined me, uh Doug Blair is my guest, and he is uh, at the Daily Signal. He is a writer there and also uh, is a podcaster there. So always glad to have Doug on the show. So Doug, uh let's talk about tech. I mean, podcasting tech, everything else. Let's talk about big tech and what's going on with Elon Musk, who by the way has got a very cool accent. And then uh, Twitter.
1: <laughs> no, it's it's a great it's a great point. He does have a great accent. He does. But- This is why I think I was a little bit on the fence when people started to say this is going to change how Twitter functions, because obviously right now we're starting to see that maybe that purchase is in limbo. Uh, Elon Musk insists that he's still going to go ahead with that purchase, but there has been some rumors that, you know, there might be not everything is on the up and up, or there are going to be some problems with that purchase, which is why I think it's really important for us to stress that Elon Musk cannot be the salvation of the conservative movement online. Mm -hmm. We need real reform. We need to actually make a difference at a legislative level. Otherwise, we are beholden to the whims of billionaires who either will purchase the platform and change it to suit their own needs, or we're beholden to people who are going to come and go right this needs to be enshrined in law this needs to be something that we make a real lasting change as opposed to again focusing on a single man to change things in our favor
0: Mm -hmm. so Doug do you have any uh thoughts on the senate opening the files on aliens
1: (laughs) (laughs) I gotta tell you when I turned on my tv this morning (laughs) and I saw that that was the case I was like oh no this is my tax dollars going to work on UFOs yeah now Again, I mean, if we can find out something about UFOs and there's, there's some truth to the fact that there are aliens out there, sign me up. I think that would be really good for us to know. I'm a fan of transparency, especially when it's coming from the government. Uh, it's a representative body of the people, and the people should know what's going on in their institutions. Now, that being said, I don't know if this is maybe the best use of our senator's time. I believe that there are a million other issues that are a little bit more pressing. We've talked about one of those, the baby formula. Uh, issue that is is actually causing real harm to American citizens, but you know if if that's what we're going to be focusing on, then yeah, I'm all for transparency.
0: Yeah, it's um, it is a very interesting topic. I'm sure there will be a lot of people wanting to know what's going on uh, with aliens. All right, so what are we doing in terms of continuing our our aid to Ukraine?
1: Now, so that's that's a really great question, and it feels like the Ukrainian saga just continues to focus more on the absolute failure that Russia is in terms of of waging this war. So the U.S. Senate recently signed a bill that's going to provide $40 billion in aid to Ukraine uh, in their current conflict with Russia. Um, It's very complicated how I think we should feel about this bill. Obviously, on the one hand, we do want to support Ukraine. Ukraine is an innocent victim here. They were attacked by a Uh, aggressive and belligerent Russia. Putin has these ambitions of reforming the Soviet Union. That's why he did this. Uh, But on the other hand, we also want to recognize that tax dollars should be going to American citizens, right? We want to support... Uh, the nation, as above, or as as opposed to foreign nations, right? There's nothing wrong with supporting allies, and we do have a strong geopolitical interest in making sure that Ukraine maintains its sovereignty. But as again, I want to reference this this point super hard is that there are problems in in the U.S. right now that are uh, in need of some funding. Obviously, we have this problem with. The baby formula. We have problems with our southern border. We have problems with crime in a lot of our major cities. And a lot of these issues are starting to feel like falling by the wayside to uh, this Ukrainian situation. And again, I, I really don't want to, to make it sound like we're not supporting the Ukrainians in this. Absolutely, we are. But we do need to balance the needs of the home country versus needs of foreign affairs that are, you know, at the end of the day, must be secondary.
0: hmm. So when you talk to people about uh, inflation, food prices, restaurant prices, gas prices, what kind of response, what kind of banter do you have with people when it comes to these uh, these issues?
1: Well, we kind of darkly laugh and, and question how much of our paycheck is going to go to filling up the car. <laughs> You're right. But um, it's, it's disturbing, to say the least, that a lot of Americans are really feeling the wallop that inflation is taking on their wallet. So I'm going to give you an example, though, of sort of how our, our elites in our our. Officials in Washington really don't understand this issue. So Katie Porter, who is a Democrat from California, I, I find her politics to be completely repugnant. She's very much a, a progressive, very much a socialist. But she had this very interesting comment where she was in the store and she picked up a thing of bacon and she didn't recognize that bacon had shot skyrocketed to ten dollars. Wow! And she basically had to put it back and, and talked to her colleagues in the Senate and, or in the House, excuse me, about how high the price of bacon was. And they had no idea. This is sort of one of the biggest issues of our government right now, is they just don't understand the issues facing the American people. They're more focused on things like you know, philosophy, gender ideology, critical race theory in the classrooms, instead of the actual on-the-ground issues that Americans are facing. You know what? One of the biggest things we're, we're facing right now is the ability to feed your family. Right. If you can't feed your family, who cares about critical race theory? I would much rather have my kid have something in their stomach, and then afterwards we can discuss – what we're going to do in the schools. I think that's the biggest issue that our government doesn't seem to think that that's a priority.
0: Yeah. One of the things I've been doing at the gas station when I am filling up and there's someone maybe across from me filling up is the question I'm asking all the time now is, so how much was gas when you started driving? And then Mm -hmm. they always kind of, they know instantly what it, what it was. And it's really funny because based on how they answer, I can pretty much guess how old they are.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I can remember let me think, how much was gas when I started driving? Now I'm also from the West Coast originally. Okay, so so you're driving in
0: Oregon. Okay. So you were paying a little more to start with, right?
1: I was paying a premium just living on the on the West Coast. So I think it was probably around three dollars, three fifty, which I mean again, in this economy sounds like a steal. (laughs) Um, and again, that's from the West Coast perspective. But when you're seeing these prices that people are unable to afford gas or they're having to choose between filling up the tank or, again, filling up their kids' stomachs. Mm. That's not what we should be doing in our country. These are the symptoms of a state and an administration that is failing. They are not the symbols of a state that is in a strong position or a leader that is competent.
0: Yeah, and Doug, in Oregon, you can't pump your own gas, can you? No, that's one of the weirdest things to me is that one
1: of one of the two states in the Union where you can't do that are Oregon and New Jersey. And guess where my relatives are from? They're <laughs> from New Jersey. Really? So I, yeah. So when I was growing up I just thought that was normal. I was like, oh, you know, I, I go to New Jersey to, to, you know, hang out with my relatives, and they don't pump gas there. And then I go back home to Oregon, and they don't pump gas there either. So, yeah, nobody pumps their own gas. It wasn't until I actually went and visited a friend, I believe in, like, Arizona, and she got out of the car and pumped her own gas. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> she was like, that's what we do here.
0: Yeah, oh, that's, that's very funny. So what else is uh, – we have just a couple minutes left. What else is on your news desk, on your things of interest that you uh, want to talk about?
1: Absolutely. So I actually just released a piece, I believe an hour ago, about a new book from the American Academy of Pediatrics. That encourages children who are feeling "quote unquote" wrong in their in their bodies, right? So this is somebody who may be transgender or gender queer, as the uh, academy likes to reference, that they should start, you know, taking puberty blockers and mm. binding or uh, tucking away their genitalia. Which this is to me one of the scariest things wow. that we have, we are now evolving in this culture. Where somebody who feels out of place in their body is now automatically considered to be, ah, you're one of these, you know, gender things and we need to do something to you, right? You need to modify your body. You need to either uh, receive surgery. You need to receive medication. You need to do something to yourself to modify it to be correct as opposed to understanding that, hey, puberty is a rough time, but God didn't make a mistake when he made you. You're not a boy trapped in a girl's body or a girl trapped in a boy's body. You're just going through some stuff right now, and that's totally natural. But we completely lost the plot.
0: Yeah, so true. Doug, you're always a delight to have on the show. I appreciate you uh, coming on. Uh, absolutely. Thanks so much, Bill. Yeah, have a great uh, rest of the day, and I will look forward to the next time we uh, have you on. See you next week you or bet. two weeks from now. All right. Terrific. Thanks. Doug Blair's been my guest. You can go learn about Doug at DailySignal.com. Coming up uh, after the break, Dr. Michael Youssef uh, is going to be on the program. He's written uh, many books. The one we're going to chat about is called Never Give Up, Holding Fast to Biblical Truth in Times of Danger and Despair. So that's going to be our our topic uh, with Dr. Michael Youssef coming up in just a minute. Seems like lately, Dr. Michael Yusuf has been everybody's friend. It's been so nice to see him and his uh, ministry and the, his books and everything that he does. That is so effective. And his new book is called "Never Give Up: Holding Fast to Biblical Truth in Times of Danger and Despair." He is a fascinating man with an incredible ministry. Uh, he was uh, uh, born in Egypt, I believe. I think I got that right. And he has. Uh, ministered in 190 countries, and he has authored more than 50 books. He's with us today. Michael, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Good to be back with you. Thank you. And you got a nice forward from O.S. Hawkins, who I've had on the show several times, and he's amazing. He is an amazing human being and a dear
2: friend. I tell you, I am just, uh, I cannot speak highly enough of my brother O.S. Hawkins.
0: Yeah, he is, uh, you guys are a great, a great team, great pair. So let me ask you about uh, Never Give Up, because we are certainly in times that feel discouraging to many. There's all kinds of things like, uh, I I don't know, um, cancel culture, and uh, Christians need to remain courageous and faithful in these very challenging times. So maybe you can start with some encouraging words for discouraging times.
2: Well, um, I have to start with the discouragement before I get to the encouragement. (laughs) All right, that's fine. Is uh, you know, when I looked around, I saw all these uh, deconstructions, so-called. That's what they call it. These pastors who are going through deconstruction which really is just a, a nice way of saying they have become an apostate. They turn their back on the faith, and they're just fall, falling like flies. And uh, it's become very discouraging. And, and then I said, instead of cursing the darkness, I love to light a candle. So. I looked at the words of the Apostle Paul, the last words uh, that he wrote before he was beheaded in Rome in Second Timothy, and here he is, he's dying, he sees some problems, he sees the people departing from the truth, people are are, are deceiving Christians in churches, and then he realized, immediately after he tells Timothy, never, 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 never give up on the gospel truth. He said in the last days. So, I mean, he covered his time, then he comes covers hours. So I thought, oh, I cannot do better than this. Certainly never would do better than this. But I write those words and expound them in order to encourage the next generation pastors to stand firm and to stand strong and never be persuaded by so modern uh, those modern pastors and mega church pastors who are saying well let's dump the old testament let's not believe this we can't believe jonah we can't believe noah and i said but believe jesus well you're saying jesus is alive because he talked about jonah and noah mm-hmm. so all of this negative stuff that led me to try to do something positive and uh, write this book never give up and of course The man who made that uh, statement famous is Winston Churchill, and I'm very, um, you know, I'm a student of Winston Churchill, uh, and and the fact that uh, when he would give that in his alma mater, that speech was the shortest speech in history, and he said, "Never give up, never, 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 never," and then he got got up and left. (laughs) Uh, So uh, I really, that's the bottom line of what Paul is saying to Timothy. Look, he said, "I'm about to die. I'm about to go to heaven." But you're going to have to stand up and defend the faith and don't water it down. And don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated by those who try to intimidate you. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we have so many uh, young pastors now who are being intimidated into conforming to the culture. I know you saw the report, that came in this morning in the, in the press. Thirty-seven percent of pastors <laughs> have a biblical worldview. It was reported in the Christian Post and in several other publications. It just came out today. And, and just think about this. To have a biblical world view. you say 37%, 64% of churchgoers are saying there are more ways to God than Jesus. And so we are living in precarious times and dangerous times, but these are the times when truly the courageous will rise up and, uh, and and speak the truth in love.
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Michael Yusuf is my guest, and his book is Never Give Up, Holding Fast to Biblical Truth in Times of Danger and Despair. And Michael, in your book, uh, you, you talk about the heart of Paul's message. And yeah. You said this brings us to the very heart of Paul's encouragement to Timothy in the opening verse of this letter. Yeah. He tells Timothy, shake off your timidity, shake off your fear, shake off your discouragement.
2: Yep. Yeah. because he knew him, obviously. He was his father in the faith, uh, so he had a very, I mean, he discipled him, obviously. He was there when he was ordained, laid hands on him. He talks about, you know, I remember when we laid hands on you and your tears. And then he gives the credit, uh, at least part of the credit, to his mom and his grandmother, because they were Jewish believers who prepared him for the coming Messiah and, uh, and, and one of the Old Testament remnant who were waiting for the Messiah to come. And so they trained him. And so when Paul came and preached the gospel, this, he immediately believed, put his faith. So there was a special relationship. And he knew that Timothy tended to be uh, frightened, tended to kind of uh, accommodate, tended to uh, be intimidated by other people. In fact, in another place, he said to him, he said, don't let anyone despise your young age. And, uh, and, and so he's he really pouring himself into this Man, as I am hoping that I'm going to be 74 this year, then I want to pour myself in this book particularly to the next generation, and I'm pleading with them: This is how you you take a stand. This is how you uh, you you're not compromising, and this is how you, because look, we are all in the end going to have the audience of one, right? And what are you going to say to him? Look, I you know I'm, I often say. Uh, I'm going to say, well, I've written so many books, I've preached so many <laughs> sermons. No, I'm going to say I've been faithful to the preaching of your word. And, and you notice that when the Lord Jesus talked about, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, well done, he never said much done. <laughs> uh, we all, in America particularly, we think of, you know, look how I accomplished, look what I accomplished, look, what, uh, look at our accomplishment. But, but, but Jesus didn't say that, he just said, he, did, he could have said much done, you've done a lot. No. Mm-hmm. He said, well done. Mm-hmm. And the man with the five talents got equal reward as the man with the ten talents because they both were equally faithful.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So, Ma- Michael, ahead. when we talk about uh, being cautious or careful or timid and, and Paul says, no, I don't want you to be any of that. Yeah. Uh, and yet you've, people have this anxiety or this fear of expressing themselves. Maybe you could share about an, an antidote to fear.
2: Sure. Well, the, 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 number one, when uh, the Paul calls that fear a spirit, he calls it a spirit. Obviously, an evil spirit, not from God. It's from the devil. It's a it's a spirit, and any evil spirit is basically can be overcome, defeated uh, by the power of Christ. He who's in us is greater than he is in the world, and that's the first step. I think that we begin to realize. Look, why am I afraid? Uh, they're going to injure my pride. Oh, sure, sure, let them do that. But ultimately, what's the worst they could do? Kill me? i well, I go to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and so once you begin to reason this way and begin to think in terms of of, of, of the power of God that was in us, can you, I mean, in, in uh, the Ephesian epistle, uh, epistle to the Ephesians, Paul said that the power that is working in us, Is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Most Christians don't even begin to comprehend that.
0: And, you know,
2: in my own life, I've been through a a heck of a lot (laughs) through the years uh, growing up under a socialist dictatorship, was persecuted in the first 18 years of my life. I ended up in Beirut, where I really knew no one. And then I ended up in Australia for eight years. I went to school there and seminary and was ordained in Sydney. Then I came... Uh, To California where I really did not again know anybody and then we moved to the south so I mean I have been through a lot I have experienced raw fear I know what it's like but in the end you have to say is, is God is our God greater than the spirit of fear which one of the demon spirits that Satan sends out to scare Christians to keep them to neutralize them really and to neutralize their effectiveness and that's what he's saying to Timothy He said, that's not from God. That spirit, he said, that is not from God. It is a spirit that's from the devil himself, and therefore, with the power of God, you can overcome it. Mm -hmm. And if we begin to think this way, instead of wanting to be accepted, James said, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Who who do you want to be a friend with and an enemy with? I mean, uh, it's just, I, I tend to be, I remember one time uh, somebody was introducing me. I was speaking to a large group of pastors in, uh, in New York, and he said, you know, the thing about Michael is he tends to bring the cookies all the way down to the lower shelf, and, and, and that's really what I want to do. I, I want to bring it all the way down to, to the bottom. I don't mm-hmm. want to give you highfalutin theological uh, uh, treaties about this or that and the other thing. bottom line is he who's in us greater than he who's in the world. Is, are you suffering from timidity and fear? God's power is greater than that. And so, I mean, I ended up uh, in Australia, uh, you know, literally, I could not put two sentences together. Uh, and it's the absolute truth. At the age of 19, I couldn't put two sentences together. But the power of God, I went through, and, and his strength and his now, you know, when when people talk about, you know, the message is going out 13,000 times in 195 countries and all that stuff. I said, well, you know, don't give me the credit, because I know what my, my weaknesses are, but I also know his strength. Yeah. yeah. I know his strength. And in the times when I'm really down in the dumps, he picked me up and uh, encouraged me, and I moved on.
0: Dr. Michael Yusuf is my guest. His book is Never Give Up, Holding Fast Biblical Truth in Times of Danger and Despair. What about when we, uh, uh, Michael, believe a lie about ourselves? Uh, would you talk about how the Bible defines shame?
2: Sure, yes. And in fact, I, I have a, a, a big section on, on that. And, and when I tell people all the time, I said, look, we all fail. And the fact that you fail does not make you a failure. But what happens, the enemy of our soul comes in, and look at you, you fail." And you'll never uh, not fail. You'll always, and, and I say, it, it's, it's no shame in, uh, in getting down, but there is a big shame in staying down. And so, you know, shame in the old days, of course, was, 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 was a, 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 a thing that uh, uh, people used, and, and God used, for that matter, in order to come, bring us to himself because he took our shame the shame of our sin. He took it all on the cross. And so now we don't have any shame anymore. They don't shame you if you are a good person, uh, if you are a godly person. They shame you of being intolerant and uh, uh, being a phobe, whether it be homophobe or Islamophobe or transphobe, and they try to do this in order to prejudice the argument. And so in reality, My shame and the shame of my sin has already been taken on the cross, on Christ's cross. When my sin, covered by his blood, there is nothing. Now, and also, I also distinguish between false guilt and true good guilt. Good guilt is when I sin and I know, goodness gracious, the moment I would utter something and I know that is not of God, I stop and I say, Lord, I am deeply sorry, forgive me. You know, that is the the life of a believer, and uh, not uh, not continue in in that sin, but repent and move on. And so, uh, it, it's vitally important for people not to, if they have a past, if they have uh, issues that dealt with. I, I often say, if you put it under the blood, leave it there. The Bible said that our sins are thrown into the deeper sea, and there is a big sign over there that says fishing not
0: allowed. <laughs> I like that. I like it. I'm going to take a little break. I just got a nice note from a listener. I really appreciate Michael because I'm not that tall and I like cookies. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, Dr. Michael Youssef is my guest. His book is Never Give Up, Holding Fast to Biblical Truth in Times of Danger and Despair. You can know we'll be right back. Seth encourages us to remain courageous and faithful to God in every generation. He says there are temptations to compromise God's truth. The tendency to stray from God's truth was a major problem in the first century church and it has reached a crisis level in the 21st century church. He is my guest. He's written a book called Never Give Up Holding Fast to Biblical Truth in Times of Danger and Despair. Michael, um, why, why do non-believers uh, have such an intense hatred for Jesus and his followers?
2: Well, <laughs> you know, we've been warned about this. <laughs> Jesus said they hate you because they hated me. Because they do not want to be reminded. It's just the same way they don't want the cross in, public eye, in the public eye. Because the cross reminds them they're sinners and they need the Savior. And so the Christians do the same thing. They, they convict them. Uh, that they are sinners, and they are they're in need of a savior, and they don't want to have a savior, they want to be their own savior, and because they have met a, you know, their own God, and it's the same the same old lie that took place zillions of years ago in heaven when uh, Lucifer rebelled against God, he wanted to be worshipped instead of God, and then God kicked out of heaven. He's been doing this and reproducing himself in every person who hates Christ and who hates Christians. He's reproducing himself because he wants worship and not God, not to God, but to him. And so that's why in every—I mean, in, you, you look at everywhere in the world. It used to be, of course, in the West. My goodness, I remember even in the um, in the Middle East in the 50s and the 60s and. Uh, and they would say, America is a Christian country. England is a Christian country. Well, that is not the case anymore. There are no such thing as a Christian country. I don't know any Christian country. And, in fact, the militant uh, 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 persecutors of the Christians are on the rise everywhere. A doctor in England just got fired simply because he refused to call somebody uh, by another noun other than the, the gender of Of the patient.
3: They're
2: fired. Uh, The same thing is happening here in America with teachers. Uh, And so that hatred is now reaching a a fever pitch. But we shouldn't also be surprised, because that's what we're told, that toward the end of time, before the return of Christ, it's going to be that way. It's going to reach a fever pitch, so much so that our Lord, when He was warning us, in fact, that's the topic of my next book, What Did Jesus Say About the End Times? And Jesus himself said, it's going to be so bad. And and, and here's, here's what he said in the Gospel of Luke, speculated, well not speculating, but he was asking the question. He knew the answer. He said, when the Son of Man returns, will he even find faith on the earth? I said, oh, my goodness. Every time I read that in the Gospels, I said, oh, Lord, I pray that if you come back today that you're going to f- find faith in me and so many other faithful believers everywhere around the world. By the same token, Bill, I, I just came back from my 67th trip around the world, and uh, I met with some unbelievable uh, believers in the Middle East. They're all converts from Islam. Wow. Every one of them, when they're converted, they signed the death warrant. They said, When you one precious, precious young woman, and and, and she said, her father tried to poison her for months until she escaped. Not the government, actually. The governments are not really doing much now. But it's the family members. They want to kill them. And wow. they call it honor killing. And yet when I see this, I said, ah, the Lord is gathering his faithful remnant from around the world, people coming to Christ at the, at the threat of their own life, death of their own life, and here in the West, we have people won't show up at church if they can't get a good seat or they can't get a good parking space. In fact, in, in, they are turning their back on Christ. Which, simply to me—and I express only my opinion, nobody else—but not even my church, my personal opinion, is that God is gathering the faithful remnant, the Church of Jesus Christ, from every tribe, every nation, uh, and every language. And that makes me, that really kind of encourages me. As the Bible said, when you see this, you lift up your head for your day of redemption is drawing nigh.
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Michael Yusuf is my guest, and he's encouraging us, of course, to uh, remain strong in times of danger and despair. And I know there's pressure to conform. Michael, maybe you could share a little bit about that.
2: Sure. I mean, you, uh, I have known uh, 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 pastors who 35 years ago was so strong on the gospel, and I know not just one or two, I mean many, and they were preaching the gospel, they were believing the Bible, and now, 35 years or 30 years later, they're saying, well, we're not sure about this, or we're not sure about this, and we, 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 I'm just convoluted about this thing because we're not sure. And they're literally denying the very thing that, and you, if you dig deeper, I happen to know, particularly in one case, he wanted to be liked by the sinners who are coming to the church and don't want to be challenged uh, and, uh, and, uh, to repent and turn, or turn to the Lord. They want to come to church with their sin and leave with their sin.
3: Mm. <laughs> and,
2: and, and, and because that, that crowd filled his church, uh, that need for popularity has really overtook the previous commitment and the previous faith that once he had in the Scripture and in the Word of God. And so this is really, really the, the crux of it. They want, they want to be liked. They want to be popular. Uh, I tell you, uh, uh, Celebrity Preachers <laughs> is, is, is Satan's greatest success story. He created Celebrity Preachers Because when he creates celebrity preachers, when they go all the way up to the top, there is no way to go except down. And I tell my congregation, if I ever hear you say what Michael said, I will be most offended and disappointed. Now, so many pastors, they want their people to say, Pastor Smell Fungus said, Pastor (laughs) Super Duck says. Mm
3: -hmm. No,
2: if it's not in the Word of God, don't repeat it. If it's not in the Word of God, don't quote it because it doesn't matter what I say and it doesn't matter what they say what matters is what the word of God said and that is the, 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 the really the very core of the issues that we're facing and the pastors need to wake up to this and not be deceived just like Satan deceived Eve in the garden before us and deceived many others through the generations because that's a deception it's going to make you Feel oh I'm important I am really uh, you know obviously all these people coming to hear me they must I must think that I'm the best thing since sliced bread and it, it, it gets to their head and all of a sudden they want to be treated as a celebrity in fact I know one mega church pastor told this congregation don't call me pastor I am the CEO of this outfit well okay. <laughs> <laughs> In the end, what difference does it make? Are you ashamed of being a pastor or being the under-shepherd of Jesus' church? Uh, go out and run a company. Uh, but that's, that's really the the problems we're facing right now, and I'm just pleading through your program to all of your audience, please, no, I want them to get the book because I know the book will bless them, and uh, and they read it and study it. I, I hope that uh, Bible study groups, uh, home groups, they study it together, because there are steps there. How to overcome, how to be victorious, and how to stay uh, victorious.
0: You know, Michael, we only have a couple minutes left, and you have a, a place in your book, which I love, and it talks about proclaiming the truth with patience. And you admit to uh, to us in the book that you're uh, you're not always the most patient person. So this is encouraging that you're letting people uh, know how important it is to be patient as we share God's Word.
2: Absolutely, because these things, you know, salvation particularly, is God's timing, not ours. And so you don't give up. You stay on your knees. You pray for your wayward child. You pray for your non-believing spouse. You pray for the person... I mean, uh, 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 not spurred, George Mueller. Now, people say, you know, Mueller prayed, and then something happened immediately. But he prayed for 60 years for five of his friends to come wow. to Christ. Three of them came to Christ before He died. The other two came to Christ at His funeral.
0: Oh, fantastic!
2: It's amazing. It almost makes me weep. Yeah, George that'd... Mueller, the great man of faith. Yeah, he was so patient. He never gave oh, up.
0: That is spectacular. And he kept
2: praying for them, and they all came to Christ.
0: Yeah, Michael. Last time I had you on the show, we were talking about your book, "Empowered by Praise," and you said that was your wife's favorite book. Yes. Yeah. Has, <laughs> has she read "Never Give Up" yet? Oh, yes. Yes.
2: She reads all my manuscripts. And, <laughs> okay. Uh,
0: and she, this got the stamp of approval. She likes it, huh? Uh,
2: absolutely. She, she, uh, I, I get her approval before I send it to the publisher.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, tell Mrs. Youssef she, uh, she was right on this one. Thank you. I'll
2: tell her. Thank all you All right. So Thank
0: you. Dr. Michael Youssef has been my guest. Again, his book is Never Give Up, Holding Fast to Biblical Truth in Times of Danger and Despair. We're going to take a break, and Hour 2 is just around that corner. Dr. Glenn Pickering is going to be joining us, and if you have ever uh, been in a relationship that you feel like you've been stuck in, you're not going to want to miss this next hour. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.